Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll, and I'd like to welcome you to our program. We're here to inspire you to make more positive and healthy and reasoned choices. After all, everything in life is about an exchange, an exchange of energy. And we're going to talk about that in some depth today. It'll be a two-day process, but I want to give you the various mental and life factors that influence your aging process. Also today, since so many people are being vaccinated, who I believe should look carefully at the scientific peer review literature and ask, if I have an autoimmune disease, should I be vaccinated? Is there evidence that a vaccine, any vaccine, may overstimulate the immune system in a person that already has a compromised immune system? The answer is yes. So what can we do about it? So the safely managing autoimmune disease first, and this should be a national worldwide program that would keep a lot of people who have comorbidities from becoming infected or dying or being hospitalized. So good information for those of you who have an autoimmune disease, and we're talking about probably one-third the American to one-half the entire American population has it. I don't know of anyone driving through these uh, little kiosks and getting vaccinated that are, uh, are, or even getting tested that are being cautioned where a real history is taken. And that's unfortunate because we're already seeing people dying and a lot of people are dying. A lot of people are ending up with injuries. So this is a cautionary tale, but with a positive outcome. Also today, you're going to hear about a different way of approaching depression and loneliness. Two different topics. We're going to have an in-depth 17-minute discussion on loneliness. It is something that's affecting all spectrums of the population. Why? What can we do about it? What's the solution to this? I'll share some insights. If anyone in the audience, being on the protocols that I've done over the years, has been able to not just improve, but completely reverse their loneliness and depression. I'd like to hear from you later in the program. Our talkback number is 888-874-4888. Also today, there's a new bill that is about to become law, or they're making an effort to make it law in the United Kingdom. They want to be able to have your children spy on you, the parents and give them um, clemency, in effect, uh, go ahead and commit a crime, actually committing a crime against your parents and stealing something from them so you can turn them in to the regulatory authorities. This isn't a joke. This is something so Orwellian. It is frightful. But it's going on now. How long before in the United States something similar is is opined and then pushed forward. Spying on each other, children spying on their parents. I remember when I was in Cuba, one of the things that was mentioned when I was in a hotel is my uh, my guide, uh, who is the head of a major intelligence agency in Cuba until the Russians left, said, see that little lady at the end, you think that she's, changing the sheets and giving you... No. She is watching everything you do and reporting everything you do. 
don't bring anyone back to your room, male or female, don't bring anyone. I said, well, I wouldn't anyhow. That's not what I'm here for because they're all spying. Everything you say in your room will be recorded. And then a man that I, who's home I stood on, just a regular person, I'd never met him, but I wanted to get out of the hotels. I wanted to stay with the Cuban people, and that's what I did. So when you talk about how tough it is in Cuba, I was in a room, no fan, no air conditioner, a mattress is probably as old as the 57 Chevys that they have, and um, I watched him. He was with a razor blade cutting some meat. It turns out he was cutting pork, that was his monthly ration, and he was cutting it for me. So I went out and said, please, I, I'm, I don't eat meat. Let me make you a meal. So I went to a local farmer's market, and I bought some stuff for him, and I made a meal. And uh, we had a conversation, and he talked about how for decades upon decades, for half a century, children were taught how to spy and turn in information. And the authorities, they're always interested in the next number that they can get for someone in, who's planning espionage or whatever. Anyhow, so they're doing this in Great Britain. We'll hear from it. What will they do here? Well, they're already doing excessive spying here. And then we're going to hear from a woman. She has a master's degree in molecular biology. She is a science writer. She's an investigative journalist. She has advanced degrees in the University of Calgary. And in the biological sciences. And she decided to take a deeper look about these variant viruses that are suddenly is freaking everyone out and therefore increasing the different vaccines that we would have to get. Because after all, the vaccine for COVID is only the vaccine for COVID. If it's a variant, that vaccine won't work. So now they're saying that how long would the war on COVID last? Here's an idea. How long has the war on drugs and the war on terrorism lasted? That's about how long you can expect. The war on poverty? Yeah. This is endless. So, time permitting, I'm going to read a commentary about one of the oligarchs of this entire pandemic taking control of it. Now he's taking control of all the farmland. He's the largest private farm land owner in America, Bill Gates, Robert Kennedy Jr. I'll be sharing those insights. So we have a powerful program lined up for you. But I want to start with something that really is not being discussed. The fact that if you have an autoimmune illness, there is no guarantee, there is no science, there's no studies to show that this vaccine, there are the several vaccines right now, were tested to see what it would do to a person who is older with comorbidities. Now, it is so serious, and so many people have died or been injured because of it, who are seniors, that in Germany and France, other countries as well, they've stopped giving the vaccine to anyone over 65. But what if you're under 65 and you have autoimmune disease? It was probably half the people. Well, there's a very good piece, and we're going to post it from Kathy White from Life Extension. I want to share some of the insights, because... What we're looking at, quite simply, is, in my opinion, is causing a literal epidemic of side effects. And they won't all manifest within a few hours or a few days. 
Remember that nurse on television talking about how important it was to get your vaccine? And she had just gotten hers, and she was about a minute into talking about it, and just boom, down she went. Everybody was kind of puzzled. But the cameras were on her, and doctors and everyone rushed over. Yeah, she uh, that was a side effect. But if you're a person with autoimmune disease and are often injected with costly and potentially dangerous drugs that can suppress the immune system, leaving you extremely vulnerable to future infections. Why? Because how do they deal with autoimmune diseases? They turn off your immune system because you have a hyper-vigilant immune system. It's on steroids. You don't want that. You'll stay constantly infected. You have cytokine storms throughout the body. And that means you're at greater risk for cancer, as an example, greater risk for the flu, greater risk for upper respiratory tract infections, the common cold, and that is serious. Think of all the people who have arthritis or rheumatism, bursitis, or fibromyalgia. They're taking anti-pain medications every day. Those are COX-2 inhibitors. Those are meant to suppress the immune response. So what do we do? One thing we can do is go on a cleansing, healthy, organic, clean, plant-based diet. Secondly, we can start the process by first detoxifying. And how do we detoxify? By caloric restriction to what our body actually needs, fasting from early evening till late morning, having lots of clean water and or juices, and a variety of juices. The green juices cleanse and detoxify. Lots of chlorophyll, great detoxifier. And fruit juices, especially the berries, pomegranates, blueberries, raspberries, all of the berries, gooseberries. Those are, by the way, when you buy a gooseberry, a little yellow orb, it's very uh, slippery. feels like no matter how many times you wash it, uh, it's still not clean. It is. But those are extremely powerful inside your body, good for your immune system. Well, now there is a lot of scientific interest that occurred in a what is called a glucoside extract from the white a peony root, P-O-N-Y root. Why? Because it's able to impact in a positive way autoimmune diseases by bringing a dysfunctional, overexcited immune system back into balance. These glycosides are extracted from the root of the plant. It's a flower, and uh, these uh, are members of the same botanical family as the buttercup and produce very fragrant flowers in a lot of different colors. And it's an extremely long-lived plant. And it's not uncommon for these plants to live for hundreds of years. They have been cultivated in both Japan and China for at least three or four centuries and um, possibly much longer. The plant has been recorded to have medicinal properties since Hippocrates. And it's also been used in Indian and Chinese medicine. There's a variety of them. There's the red and the white, and the most common species uses the white plant, and it's named for the color of its roots, not its flowers. So 
That's the information that you need to know on something that will help you if you have autoimmune disease. And because of its abilities to rebalance a malfunctioning immune system due to its unique dual-acting mechanisms, these uh, peony glycosides are recognized as a drug by the state uh, Chinese State Food and Drug Administration for treatment of rheumatoid arthritis, one of the leading autoimmune diseases. But unlike the dangerous drugs, remember Vioxx killed tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people. There's no downside to this. It works to simultaneously suppress excessive harmful immune functions while also boosting calming immune components. A calm, balanced immune system is the most important step to reducing the pain and treatment of autoimmune disorders. And uh, so it helps with all full spectrum of the dysregulated immune system. And right now, our entire country has dysregulated immune system. Now, the glycosides, unlike most medications, have multiple mechanisms of action that include immunomodulatory properties, the reduction of inflammation-promoting molecules, uh, that are always elevated with autoimmune diseases. And the, the plant that contains the specific molecules found uh, in the plants known as glucosides, G-L-U-C-O-S-I-D-E-S, the most abundant of the active uh, glucosides are the peonifloran and that's P-A-E-O-N-I-F-L-O-R-I-N, peonifloran, which is responsible for much of the plant's medicinal benefits. And the peonifloran is so important in the glycosides that it's used to standardize the formulation, and that's what really makes it powerful. So it helps create immune balance, it's specifically good against arthritis and inflammatory conditions. And uh, and it could, I believe, if used on a regular basis, could help a lot of people. Now, if you took vitamin C, that would also help. And if you took zinc, and always try to take zinc with some form of fat, because zinc is one of those powerful antiviral agents. And that's why, for example, when you're using, uh, let's say, ivermectin or... Uh, any of the five other major drugs that are very beneficial and the science is there to prove it, uh, they recommend zinc with it. So, but zinc by itself has a hard time dealing with the lipid structures of things. So if you have a lipid as a carrier, that can enhance it. And for all of you in the audience who have lupus, L-U-P-U-S, that's a chronic inflammatory disease. It can in, impact your entire body, your joints, your skin, your heart, your lungs, your blood vessels, your nervous system, your liver, your kidneys. It really increases your risk of cancer and infections. In fact, women are 900% more often as men to end up with this. They have the cycle of the flares, or what are called exacerbations, and uh, followed by periods of lower activity, which are the remissions. So they give you non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, which I d disagree with, um, but psoriasis is another condition uh, that the uh, glucosides can make a difference with. So no matter what the type you have, please understand that these really make a difference. Okay? So that's a little longer, almost uh, 10 minutes on just one topic, but 
think of all the people that might benefit or help other people. Now, part one of what will be a two-part segment dealing with the various lifestyle choices that can help us either slow down or accelerate the aging process. First, understand how bad it is. Right now in the United States, for the last two years, we are losing ground. We're, we're going backwards. So we're dying men 76.1 years, the average life expectancy. Not a whole lot better for women. And uh, so, in fact, there are areas in the United States where people live longer and areas where you live shorter uh, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but if you want to know where people are living the longest lives, number one would be Monaco, Japan, Singapore, Macau, San Marino, Andorra, Guernsey, Hong Kong, Australia, Italy, Canada, and uh, Spain. And way down there is the United States. And the reasons are because you're susceptible to coronary heart disease, cancer, chronic lower respiratory diseases, and strokes. And of course, metabolic disorders right at the top of that list would be diabetes. But also, you've got uh, pneumonia that includes influenza, kidney disease, septicemia, and chronic liver disease and cirrhosis. And that pretty much is true around the world. You are going to have more infections because of polluted food and water in other countries, especially developing countries. And we are nutrient deficient worldwide. I mean, hundreds of millions of people in the world will not have a life expectancy beyond 60 because they are deficient. Now, you can talk about genes, and yes, they do play a role, but more important are telomeres, T-E-L-E-O-M-E-R-E-S, telomeres. Now, these telomeres, um, these telomeres, you don't want them to shorten. You want to keep them long. An enzyme named telomerase adds bases to the ends of telomeres. In young cells, telomeres keeps... Uh, the telomerase keeps your telomeres from wearing down too much, but as cells divide repeatedly, there is not enough telomerase, so the telomeres grow shorter and the cells age. Telomer shortening seems to be faster in men than in women. Oxidative damage, smoking, drinking, bad diet, polluted air, um, excessive molds and danders in the air, that damage is repaired less well in telomeric DNA than in the chromosomes. Also, University of California at San Francisco showed that shorter telomeres are associated with a broad range of aging-related diseases, cancer, stroke, vascular dementia, cardiovascular disease, obesity, osteoporosis, and diabetes. Now, let me give you just a few things that speed up the telomeres, shortening. And this was from Kaiser Permanente, 100,000 participants providing their uh, saliva for telomeres. And they found that there was a huge difference depending upon what you did. Uh, for example, workplace stress. Yeah, many studies have shown a link between chronic stress in the workplace and the degradation in health. On average, there is a 550 base pair difference in telomere sequence length, no matter the chronological age of the subject. 
between the subjects undergoing high levels of stress and those with low levels of stress in the workplace. In the high-level stress group, telomerase activity is 48% lower, almost half, than when you're not stressed. And the difference is linked to about a tier 10-year increase in biological age when you're stressed in a workplace. So if you don't like your work, if you're working in a toxic environment, if if you're working under terrible conditions, you could live 10 years shorter. Hence the importance of living in calm, bucolic environments. So that's just stress in the workplace. Now how about adding on the stress of loneliness, the stress of um, of ended relationships, not not due to the fault necessarily of each person. You can have the end of a relationship because you no longer have anything to share and you amicably separate to go on with your lives. You could have the loss of a person through disease or disability. I have four of my very closest friends, all who had wonderful plans because they shared them with me about what they were going to do once they hit 50 and where they were going to live, and and they were financially uh, not rich, but they were they were mindful of how they spent, and uh, they did not buy what they didn't need, and they looked for ways of buying uh, so that they could go as I do. I'll go to a uh, consignment store. Now you have low end consignment stores where the stuff is pretty much junk, and you have very high end consignment stores. I remember when one of the staff was going to go to the Cannes Film Festival and make a presentation. I just didn't have the time. I was out filming another film, so I didn't have time to go. And this was uh, Gulf, War, Gulf War Syndrome, Killing Our Own. And the person said, hey, I got to have a dress that's, you know, nice. And then I got to hire a model to, so that we look like a couple because you can't get into any of the events. So I said, okay. And... I looked at the price tags and I said, well, I can't afford that. $5,000, $10,000 for a dress that you wore once? No. So over on Third Avenue, there's two consignment stores that I know of. And there's one down in the village that I got the most beautiful suit I've ever had in my life. I got it for 50 bucks. I, it's a handmade suit. It's just exquisite. It's, uh, I've, it's dark blue, but a unique type of blue. On my website under photos, I have, you'll see me talking, I'm walking towards a lecture in Central Park, and I got a call, and I went, and you'll see that that's the suit. And uh, I couldn't get that made today. It would be too expensive. Fifty bucks. Yeah? And went over and here were these designer gowns. I'm talking about high-end, very expensive design for Zachi and Calvin Klein. Thousands of dollars. Got four dresses. Each was about a hundred bucks. Then (laughs) I had a model... They had no invitation to anything, not an invitation. And I said, well, buy buy a, buy or get a bottle, empty bottle. Just fill it up with water, the most expensive champagne, and put it in your hand and just waltz like you own the place. Walk right in the door to these big uh, private gatherings and hand out uh, screening cards. Because if you don't give out a screening card, you don't have a big campaign. And we didn't. We had no campaign. Then no one's going to come to your screening. Well, and the, they it worked. Both of this young fellow was very attractive. This woman was very attractive, and they they got in every party there was at Cannes. Then at three o'clock in the morning, they went out and they hung a banner 
across the main street saying, the must-see film, if there's room, watch uh, watch uh, this one on the vets. And the theater was packed. They, they said a lot of people, I don't remember all the names they said, Nick Nolte, and a lot of people were there and went to see it. It's, uh, it's known as guerrilla marketing. When you don't have money but you have the right idea, then you have to improvise. Well, uh, what's important is that we have to improvise by looking at what do we do when we have an environment that's toxic and we want to live a longer life and have longer telomeres. How do we create a non-toxic environment? That I'm going to talk about tomorrow. Smoking, of course, being overweight, even even little overweight, but being obese really shortens your life. 8.8 years. Hmm. So if you're stressed and you're overweight and you work in a toxic environment, 18.8 years off your lifespan. Smoking, that, that can take a lot of years off your lifespan. Anywhere from, anywhere from smoking one pack a day for 40 years, that can take 10 years off your life. And then psychological factors can also do this. Uh, depression is something that is simply not in the brain. It affects the whole body. Chronic depression reduces telomeres activity and decreases the length of neutrophilic factors, but increases apoptosis and reduces stem cell proliferation. So you want to be de-stressed, have a positive mindset, and that'll help lengthen the telomeres, and that slows the aging process, and that is good. Tomorrow, part two, and I'll go into a lot more, including a lot of things that are very specific to help overcome genetic limitations and mutations in the body, nutrient deficiencies, all that I'll deal with on tomorrow's program. Just giving you the beginning of this. It might take several days, but we'll get through it. And that's the latest in health and healing. We're 25 minutes into our, 26 minutes into our program. We're going to take a break. And when we come back from the break, we're going to hear uh, about depression and loneliness. It starts off about loneliness, but loneliness then leads to depression and depression can lead to loneliness and isolation, but there's some there's some things I would agree with, absolutely, and there's some things I would disagree with, because I've been helping people with loneliness and depression for decades with very positive results. And if you're one of those people and like to share your experience of how you stay positive in a negative environment and how you stay happy when others are falling into a state of sadness because they are lonely. Call us. I'd like to hear from you. Back in a moment. Please stay with us. ...in history also become the loneliest. It's easy to forget how far we've come. In just a matter of years, we've gone from phone calls to text messages to video chat. In an instant, we can ring up a family member across the world and feel more connected with them, given the distance, than we could have at any other point in history. This was science fiction in the 20th century. Hello? It's during that same period of innovation that brought us one-click shopping, anything we could need delivered to our door the same day. And so we bought and stored and used and replaced. A generation living better than Louis XIV, yet finding ourselves more secluded than ever. Why do people, even after they have their basic needs met, with all the tools we have available, why are we not only unhappy, but largely depressed? 
author and journalist Johan Hari set out across the world to speak with leading experts on depression, anxiety, and loneliness to discover both how we've gotten to this place and more importantly, how do we as individuals and a society start to turn the tide. This is my 20-minute interview with Johan about what he learned from that research. All right, so why don't we start out with a little bit of an intro about yourself and about your work. I really, I wrote my book Lost Connections because there were the, these two mysteries that were really hanging over me for years. I think I was quite afraid to look into them in some ways. The first mystery is, I'm 40 years old, and every year that I've been alive, depression and anxiety have increased here in the United States, in Britain, and across the Western world, right? And I kept asking myself, why? Why is this happening? Why are so many more of us each year that passes finding it hard to get through the day, right? And I guess I wanted to understand that from because of a more personal mystery. When I was a teenager, I remember going to my doctor and explaining that I had this feeling like pain was leaking out of me, that's how I put it at the time. And I felt very ashamed of it. I felt confused by it. I didn't understand why it was happening. And my doctor told me a story that I now realise from speaking to the leading scientists in the world on this was oversimplified, right? My doctor said, we know why people feel like this. It's just because of a problem in your brain. There's a chemical called serotonin that makes people feel good. Some people are naturally lacking it. You're clearly one of them. All we need to do is give you some drugs. You're going to feel better. So I started taking a chemical antidepressant called Paxil and I felt significantly better for a few months. And then this feeling of pain came back. So I went back. The doctor said, well, I didn't give you a high enough dose. I was given a high dose. Again, I felt better. Again, the feeling of pain came back. And I was really in this cycle of taking higher and higher doses until for 13 years I was taking the maximum dose you're allowed to take, at the end of which I was still really depressed. And I was surrounded by people who were becoming more and more depressed. So I just forced myself really to start looking into this. So I ended up going on this big journey for the book. I travelled over 40,000 miles. I wanted to meet the leading experts in the world about what causes depression and anxiety and what solves them most importantly. So I met, you know, not just leading experts, but just a crazy mixture of people with different perspectives from an Amish village in Indiana, because the Amish have very low levels of depression, to a city in Brazil that banned advertising to see if that would make people feel better, to a lab in Baltimore where they, give, where they were giving people psychedelics to see if that would help. And I learned a huge number of things, but the, the core of what I learned is that there's scientific evidence for nine different causes of depression and anxiety. Two of them are in fact biological. My doctor wasn't wrong. Um, your genes can make you more vulnerable to these problems, just like some people find it easier to put on weight than others. Uh, and there are real changes in your brain that begin when you become depressed that can make it harder to get out. But most of the factors that cause depression and anxiety are not in our biology. Most of the factors for which there's scientific evidence are factors in the way we're living. And what I learned in the process of writing the book and speaking to so many scientists is once you understand the causes of depression and anxiety in this more complex way, it opens up a, a much broader range of possible solutions that I saw being put into practice all over the world. And these are solutions that we need to be explaining to people and offering to them alongside, not, in, not instead of, but as an option alongside chemical antidepressants. Why is society at large reacting in this way? What do you think are some of the influences on people's well-being that's leading to the higher and higher rates of depression and anxiety. Well, I'll give you an example of one of the nine causes that I write about in Lost Connections. 
we are the loneliest society there's ever been. There's a study that asks Americans, how many close friends do you have who you could turn to in a crisis? And when they started doing this years ago, the most common answer was five. Today, the most common answer, not the average, but the most common answer is none. Half of all Americans asked how many people know you well, say nobody, right? I spent a lot of time talking to an amazing man called Professor John Cassiopo, who's the, who was the leading expert in the world on loneliness. He was at the University of Chicago. And he explained to me, why are we alive? You and me and everyone watching this, why do we exist? One key reason is that our ancestors on the savannas of Africa were really good at one thing. They weren't bigger than the animals they took down. They weren't faster than the animals they took down. But they were much better at banding together into groups and cooperating. Just like bees evolved to live in a hive, humans evolved to live in a tribe. And if you think about the circumstances where we evolved, if you were cut off from the tribe, you were depressed and anxious for really good reasons. You were in terrible danger. You were about to die. Those are still the impulses we have. We are the first humans ever in the long two million year history of our species to try to disband our tribes. And it is making us feel awful. So a key thing for me was not just to understand these problems, but okay, how do we solve those problems, right? And one of the heroes of my book Lost Connections is an amazing man called Dr. Sam Everington, who pioneered a, a whole different approach based on this understanding. So Sam was a general practitioner in East London, a poor part of East London where I, where I lived for a long time. And Sam was really uncomfortable because he had loads of patients coming to him with terrible depression and anxiety. And like me, he thinks there's some role for chemical antidepressants, but he could also see most of the people he was giving them to did become depressed again. And he could see that they were depressed and anxious for perfectly understandable reasons, right? Like, to give one of the examples I talk about in the book, loneliness. So he decided to pioneer a different approach. One day a woman came to see him called Lisa Cunningham, who'd been shut away in her home with dreadful depression and anxiety for seven years. And Sam said to Lisa, don't worry, I'll carry on giving you these drugs. I'm also going to suggest something else. There was an area behind the doctor's, the suite of doctor's offices that was no, uh, known as Dogshire Alley, which gives you a sense of what it was like, just kind of scrubland. Uh, Sam said to Lisa, what I'd like you to come and do is turn out a few times a week. I'm going to come too because I've been pretty anxious. We're going to meet with a group of other depressed and anxious people. We're going to find something to do together as a group, right? The first time the group met, Lisa was literally physically sick with anxiety. But the group starts talking. They're like, what can we do? Uh, these are inner city East London people. They don't know anything about gardening. They decided they were going to teach themselves gardening, right? Going to turn Dogshit Alley into a beautiful garden. So they start to watch YouTube. They start to read books. They start to get their fingers in the soil. They start to learn the rhythms of the seasons. There's a lot of evidence that exposure to the natural world is a really powerful antidepressant. They start to do something even more important. They started to form a tribe. They started to form a group. They started to care about each other. And, you know, if, if, if one person didn't turn up, they'd go and look for them. They'd see if they were okay. They did what human beings do when we're part of tribes. They started to solve each other's problems. The way Lisa put it to me, as the garden began to bloom, we began to bloom. There was a study in Norway of a very similar program, found it was more than twice as effective as chemical antidepressants. I think for an obvious reason, right? It was dealing with some of the reasons why they felt so bad in the first place. And this is something I saw all over the world, from Sydney to Sao Paulo to San Francisco. The most effective strategies for dealing with depression and anxiety are the ones that deal with the reasons why we're in such distress in the first place. 
You said that we're living in the loneliest society there's ever been. How can that possibly be with all of these tools at our fingertips, right? We have social media. We have the ability to connect and interact with anybody in an instant. I can FaceTime my mom in a second, and if she picks up, then we can. I can see her face to face. Has social media played some part in the fact that we are lonely? This is a complex question and with a complex answer. So the glib answer is to go, yeah, social media did this to us. It's just too simplistic. To understand this, I went to the first ever internet rehab center in the world. It's in just outside Spokane in Washington State. It's called Restart Washington. I remember I arrived there. It's a clearing in the woods. Uh, I get out. I got out the car. And absolutely instinctively, I looked at my phone to check my email and felt really pissed off. I couldn't see it because they were in the reception. I was like, oh, wait, you came to the right place, right? And I spent a fair bit of time there. Um, and it was totally fascinating. They get a whole range of people at Restart Washington. But they disproportionately get uh, young men who become obsessed with these multiplayer role-player games like World of Warcraft or not at the time that I was there, but now Fortnite, right? And I remember Dr. Hilary Cash, the amazing woman who runs this center, saying to me, look, you've got to ask yourself, what are these young men getting out of these games? Because they're getting something, right? I think what they're getting is a kind of hollow version of the things they used to get from the society but they no longer get. They get a sense of a tribe. They get a sense of status and that they can gain in status. They get a sense they're good at something. They get a sense they're moving around. Young people barely leave their homes now. It's incredible the figures for how rarely children play outdoors. But what they're getting is, you know, I started to think that the relationship between, say, these these games or, or, or social media and social life is like the relationship between porn and sex, right? I'm not against porn. It'll meet a certain basic itch. But if your entire sex life consisted of looking at porn, you'd be going around pissed off and irritated the whole time. Because we didn't evolve to masturbate over screens, we evolved to have sex, right? That wouldn't meet your deeper needs. In the same way, I'm not obviously not against the internet, it would be ridiculous, right? But we didn't evolve to talk through screens, right? We didn't evolve to look at each other and interact with our friends through screens. If you and I were speaking even via Skype now, I wouldn't feel you were seeing me and you wouldn't feel you were the other way around. Um in the way that we feel that we are seeing and hearing each other now, right? Um, human beings have a need to be seen. Um, the, the leading expert on loneliness in the world, Professor John Cassiopo, said, gave me a good little rule of thumb. He said, um, if social media is a way station for meeting people offline or staying in touch with them that you'll see offline, it's a good thing. If it's the last stop on the line, generally something's gone wrong. But it's, I think we have to think about as well the moment in human history when social media arrives, right? A lot of the causes of depression and anxiety that I write about in my book, Lost Connections, were already supercharged by then, by the late 90s, the early 2000s. Loneliness had gone up, junk values had gone up, a whole range of things. And what happens is the internet arrives and it looks a lot like the things we've lost. You've lost friends? Here's a load of Facebook friends. You've lost status? Make some status updates, right? But it's not the thing we've lost. It's a kind of parody of the thing we've lost. And what we need to do in very practical ways is restore the thing we've lost. It seems like today we have a lot of distractions 
that could potentially pull us away from that connection. Um, it seems like a lot of people are driven through consumerism and materialism, and many of us are safer and have more than we ever have before. The size of homes has increased steadily since the 1930s and 40s. Is there any correlation between material wealth and happiness? One of the things I found most challenging in the research for the book, because I could see how much it had played out in my own life, was some research by an amazing man called Professor Tim Kasser. So everyone knows junk food has taken over our diets and made us physically sick, right? As you can tell from my chins, I'm not immune to this myself. But there's equally strong evidence that a kind of junk values have taken over our minds and made us mentally sick. Professor Kasser showed... So for thousands of years, philosophers have said... You know, if you think life is about money and status and showing off, you're going to feel like shit, right? It's not an exact quote from Confucius, but that is the gist of what he said, right? But no one scientifically investigated this until Professor Kasser. And, and he showed a few, I think, really important things. Firstly, he showed the more you think life is about money and status and showing off, the more likely you are to become depressed and anxious by a really quite significant amount. I think this is because... I'm going a little bit beyond Professor Kasser here, but I think this is because everyone knows they have natural physical needs, right? You need food, you need water, you need shelter, you need clean air. If I took those things away from you, you'd be in real trouble real fast. But there's equally strong evidence that all human beings have natural psychological needs. You need to feel you belong. You need to feel your life has meaning and purpose. You need to feel that people see you and value you. You need to feel you've got a future that makes sense. And our culture is good at lots of things. I'm, I'm glad to be alive today, but we've been getting less and less good at meeting these deep underlying psychological needs. If you think, partly because there's many factors going on, but partly because if you think life is about money and, and, and displaying that money, that is going to divert you from the things you actually do need to have a, a meaningful and satisfying life. But Professor Kasser also showed something else. So he showed the more you follow these junk values, the more likely you are to become depressed and anxious. He also showed, as a society, as a culture, we have become much more driven. Good. I'd like to hear from you if you've also gone through long periods of loneliness and depression, and you're not lonely or depressed today. I'm very interested in knowing solutions. That's what we provide every day. We're honest about the problems. You cannot deal with a solution if you're not honest about the problem. But you don't stop at the problem. You don't stop and just emote negativity or helplessness, hopelessness, rage. That is non-constructive. And I'm told we have someone on the line. We're going to go to that person in a second. But also I want to thank uh, John Giordano, one of our listeners, who said, Gary, to reinforce what you have said, I was watching New Jersey Public Television News last night, and they interviewed a doctor from Hackensack Hospital and a doctor from Holy Name Hospital in Teaneck. They conducted studies on COVID-19 patients using hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and both doctors had success treating patients. I was shocked to hear this on semi-mainstream TV. Well, John, thank you for sharing that, and uh, that's good citizen journalism, sharing and spreading the information. I didn't know that. I'm not looking at local newspapers. But when people have a story that's important, why is that important? Because it's showing that 
thousands upon tens of thousands of regular mainstream doctors and scientists are now saying, I've had enough of the lies, distortions, manipulations. I'm going to tell the truth. Good for you, uh, the doctors, because I know how much they're risking. They don't have a form like this. All right. They lose it. They lose it all. And that's terrible. So that's good. Also tonight on the progressive commentary at seven o'clock, we're going to go into great depth in a way we have not yet before the great reset and the role that the pandemic to advance its agenda plays. Peter Koenig, that's K-O-E-N-I-G, who is one of the world. He's from Switzerland. I'll be talking to him from Switzerland. He's a former economist at the World Bank and the World Health Organization. Again, I'm inviting people from inside the belly of the beast, from the ultra-Orthodox, to come and share a form. The fact that he said yes and no advance. We never tell someone in advance, by the way. That's my rule. You're not going to know what I'm going to ask you until you're on the air and you hear it as my audience hears it. So he's going to be here. And uh, he's 30 years in that position. So... That's tonight, the great reset from someone who was in the organizations, the World Health Organization and the World Bank. So that'll be fun. You don't want to miss that. We hit these hard-hitting ones. Also, for those of you who say, well, it's safe, it's safe, the COVID vaccine, maybe. But how about the 39-year-old medical doctor and son of the former Chief Justice of Trinidad found dead after COVID injection in Ireland? Just one of Many who have died, and yet you don't see that publicized. We should. Now, before we go to our next clip, let's say hello to, what's your name, please? Hello, you're on the air. Hi, Gary, it's John C. Hi, John. Hi. Tell us your, tell us your story, John. Well, back in the uh, middle 1970s, I lived in New York City and was the uh, clinically... Um, uh, had uh, chronic depression. Uh, this was diagnosed by a psychiatrist. Sometimes they would chronic depression would go into acute depression in which I would um, just shut down. I would hide out, hibernate. I wouldn't be able to sleep or eat. So my therapist at the time said, uh, we have to get you on some uh, SSRIs some antidepressants, and I went for many years off and on on Lexapro, Paxil, Prozac, Celexa, Zola, Valium, Elvil, uh, sometimes a combination. Uh, this is over a span of 30 years. Um, I got a very brief respite from the depression, and then the side effects would kick in, things like absolutely no energy, absolutely no, no libido, which I hated, uh, dry mouth. I was running a lot at the time, and the dry mouth would stop me from exercising. And brain fog. And I, I, I just couldn't do this anymore. Uh, about um, six, seven years ago, I started coming to your retreats. And in the retreats, uh, listening to you and some of your self-help uh, DVDs, I learned of techniques, natural techniques, that I could relieve, put my chronic depression, acute depression at bay. Um, things like guided meditation, uh, practicing yoga, uh, deep breathing, uh, tapping, which you tap on different parts of your face and your body. You give yourself a positive sentence to go along with the tapping. A lot of positive self-talk, 
exercising, getting out into nature every day, connecting with people who I trust with my most valuable and vulnerable feelings, eating. I, when I was depressed, I wanted to eat really lousy food, refined carbohydrates, and my gut would, take a, uh, would, would, uh, would go into horrible spasms. So I had to eat very clean, drinking a lot of juices, giving myself a lot of positive self-talk. Uh, these are all techniques that um, have literally ended my acute depression. I'm not saying that sometimes I don't get down, but when I do get down, I go right to these techniques, and I never fall into the deep monster of depression because, for me, depression was a monster. Um, um, it, I would shut down. And at the time, I was uh, very good at what I did. But the find of fear and anxiety that would come up would stop me from really enjoying my life and feeling happy. I don't feel like that anymore. I feel very positive. I have a purpose in life. I connect with really positive people. And as of late, just recently, I have moved out of Los Angeles uh, to northeast Texas. Never thought I would do that, but I don't believe that I could have made this move without conquering uh, the de- kind of depression that I had to give me um, taking on this kind of responsibility, going to great discomfort through the, the stress of moving, but I did it. I would have never have done that before. Good for you. Well, again, all it takes is for one person to show that you can beat a, a system and all of the intricacies of that system, because almost everything within our existing media system supports being depressed, supports the Internet of all things, supports addictive behavior, supports conformity, supports the, the idea that we have to obey those in power, lest we become a victim of those in power. And as a result, people know better but don't do better, and then they start mm-hmm. to – they see what they cannot control in their life – Sometimes it's their aging, sometimes relationships. They're starting to come apart. And we don't realize that everything has an expiration date. And there are times in life where we have to move on. We have to have change. We have to seek change. And just the ability to seek change with a clear mind and a positive attitude itself can be liberating. Yes. Have you found now that you are liberated? Yes. Yes, definitely. Well, good for you. Thank you very much. I'll be... Uh, by the way, at the upcoming retreat, the last two weeks of uh, April, I'll be doing an entire day discussion on loneliness. There are Excellent. many I'll different ways. There are many different ways without medication. See, that's why I disagree with the other person. I thought he made a lot of very important and constructive thoughts. The one point I would differ is I have helped so many people, thousands, help them clean their body, rebalance their mind and ideas so that they could wean off over time and with their doctor's understanding and guidance to where they one day called and said, I'm no longer any meds and I'm feeling great. I feel like this enormous burden has been lifted. Did you have that feeling when you were off all the meds? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, John. Nice to hear from you. Thank you, Gary. Now, I'm going to keep the other two tapes, uh, the the shaky science behind the deadly new strains, because someone actually did the homework and found out 
They can't prove these deadly new strains are really deadly. It's a mathematical model, but you'll hear that in the UK's bill. I do want to mention for all of you, for the enormous crowd that joined me on Sunday for six hours, the outline that has a lot of details, and the details of what I'm sending you I didn't want to go into. Is, any of you have ever attended my lectures, you know that I'll start with maybe five to ten talking points that are just areas, but then everything is a piece to the puzzle, and I want to explain it in proper context with full-spectrum insights. So what you're going to get, those of you who were at the there, you're going to get the following, and you're going to get uh, some charts. You're going to get uh, 23 tips to restore self-sufficiency, six ways to engage with your community, uh, the future of employment, echo villages and intentional communities around the world, uh, where best to live outside the United States, how to purchase an RV, and that goes into great detail and gives you addresses and phone numbers of the places. A progressive manifesto. If you want to be progressive, come up with progressive ideas and then try to see if you can have other people who share the same ideas, even resource books. So all of the detailed information you'll be getting. I think it's about 37 pages of material, lots of material. So that's that. And uh, and for everyone else, I'm sorry you weren't able to attend, but uh, uh, maybe we'll get it posted up on our website. And finally, we have one other person I see is called uh, Joseph from Nassau County. Hi, Joseph. Your turn, please. Yes. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank I, you. Uh, I, I just want to say I, I was I liked what the uh, your guest speaker had to say about thinking about our ancestors, and uh, it's very important because uh, you know if we also think from the perspective that what was their life even like, and how today is with all this human technology, I find comfort in just saying to myself, well, what did they even think about, and they thought about what they needed. Where is the wood? Where is the food? Where is my mate? And in today's, you know, la-la land society, our state of mind, I find comfort in just periodically thinking back to those days as far as what they even thought about and what their day was like. And I say to myself, let me appreciate the fact that there's a roof over my head for starters. And that's pretty much what I have to say for today. Well, thank you, Joseph. I appreciate that. Let me just, uh, WBI audience has to split off because they have five minutes to uh, the news on their station that I've been on for 40, 45 years. Uh, for the rest of you, I'll share a few thoughts. <clears throat> See if this makes any sense to you. Right now, there's a movement of shaming people who respect the very things that we no longer think are necessary, like a family. There are groups out there, very powerful groups, politically oriented groups, highly, highly, let's say, they're not just political, they're ideological. You can't have a conversation with them. They don't know how to talk in a civil manner. They demean in their conversation, they're guttural in their language, and they're rageful in their intemperance. So they're not willing to listen to what you have to say. They don't care about your values. If you say I'm a stronger person in my character, I'm honest today, I'm moral today, I care about others today, I care about my kin because that's how I grew up. 
if I am did something and embarrass my family, and then I would be known in the neighborhood as a child that, you know, what's wrong with the parents that they're not, you know, saying that their child doesn't go and steal something? So we were taught. Um, we, I'm asking the engineer to turn off Joseph's mic because it's uh, there's back feed. So the question is, so what was so wrong of having family members who cared about one another and who lived in communities that cared about one another, who had a common sense of morality, even if you have different views on religion or spirituality, where we had manners and morals, where we didn't have to be asked to do something, we knew it had to be done, and we did it. Not everyone was the same, but overall, it worked so well that I never remembered once, clear up through college, that anyone in my whole neighborhood locked a door, car door, anything. I remember once when my brother, Howard, who was five years older, he drove uh, drove us to a movie downtown, and we parked right across from the, uh, the theater, he had a 57 convertible. He was such, such a cool dude, my brother. He was, we were, we were kind of mindless dorks compared to him. And, uh, he had he, acapella. He could sing. He was set, uh, 10 straight records and in intramurals and sports. And, and he hung out with some really cool guys. It was just like out of American graffiti. Really that. And, uh, we came back and there was his wallet with money showing in the dashboard in a convertible on the busiest section of our small town. Nobody would have thought to steal. It's just not what you did. You know, go down to Little Italy and see how many older women are sitting, uh, you know, resting on pillows, looking out the window, talking with each other. Do you not think they don't have eyes on everyone coming there and saying, you know, is, you know, come in peace? Good. Come to do some harm? No, not so good. And that's true of communities everywhere of all ethnicities, of all cultures. We're told now that that's not necessary. The government will take care of you and protect you. We don't even need the police. Mm -hmm. And you better not say anything that we will demonize you for because we're going to make your language, your freedom of speech, we're going to weaponize it. So against you. And you're not allowed to go out there and assemble. If you do, for any reason, uh, that's not acceptable. So when you look at what we're being told to discard, that we should be embarrassed by our heritage, embarrassed by our ethics, embarrassed by our character, embarrassed by being a member of a family, embarrassed by caring and nurturing, embarrassed about our progressive values, then you know that we're in troubling times. So you have one of two choices. You can either focus upon what you're not going to change, them, their views, the body politic, any institution. Institutions don't evolve. They don't progress. They only consume. They consume debt. They consume profits. They consume laws because they make everything. So everything goes into that belly of the beast and comes out in a way that is for them, not us. Stakeholders or shareholders, they don't care if the profit they are getting their pension from is made from genetically engineered seed or making bombs. Like some of the most profitable investments today are in the munitions industry. And we've seen what the munitions industry has done to the world. They're behind almost every invasion or any place because they're a completely lethal, immoral industry. Weapons. 
In the end, they don't care who gets the weapons, ISIS or someone else. As long as you're buying them, that's all they care about. And they lobby to make sure this happens. Everybody lobbies today who has power or wants power to protect their power. In fact, I don't have time today, but I'll get into it on our next program. I'm going to report on an in-depth investigation of who says that ivermectin is no good. Who says that I, uh, the, the uh, different hydroxychloroquines are no good? People who were paid to lobby against it. Scientists, physicians, and others have unfortunately, more often than not, used their reputation and social standing because they were paid when the science shows they were wrong. We have no shame today for our transgressions, both ethically and and uh, socially. So that's why we're in for a bumpy ride, and that's why I'm asking people, get off the grid. You can. You have the power. I spent six hours sharing information with additional resources that you're going to get that I didn't want to waste my time going into those. I gave you the larger views. That's why I spent a lot of time explaining why being in the city now that all the apartments would be full, at lower rent or lower cost to buy, but the infrastructure that made it unique will not be there probably for the next 10 years. So people are going to have to live in the desert where once it was the oasis so they can remorse in the scars of their bitterment or they can celebrate finding better places to live with more progressive people. And by the way, I had mentioned South, Car- uh, South Carolina. I'm now removing South Carolina after did even more research uh, on South Carolina as one of the places. I mentioned Vermont's good, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, at least part of Massachusetts, um, and uh, Maine, um, the Shenandoah Valley through Pennsylvania, uh, through Virginia, parts of uh, uh, Kentucky and Tennessee, and uh, and East Texas and uh, Wisconsin, Indiana, in the north parts. But there are a lot of places that were great previously that are not today. But more on that on upcoming discussions. And there's lots of details to go into that I determine a place, even by how many days they're going to have that are excessively hot that could hurt people. How How much is this going to raise the loss of woodlands and green spaces, how many mosquitoes they're going to have, mosquito days they're going to have, things people don't think about till you're in a place and suddenly every second, whack, 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 you're whacking yourself because of a mosquito and thinking, wow, I didn't think about this. Well, we have. That's all the time we have for today. If you want to join us for that big retreat that's coming, the anti-aging retreat, which is going to be great, or also the um, the health retreat, just a uh, Give Luann Panessi a call, and uh, she'll be happy to talk with you. See if you're, it's right for you, 903-881-7008, 903-881-7008. Have a nice day, everyone.